Yeah, it's almost like he suffers from third down Scott Chandler Stonehand syndrome. You know, like remember the Scott Chandler would be like, oh, Fitzpatrick would put it right there. Third and five, hit him right in the hands. And he would just drop it every single time it felt like. You're now listening to the Wandering Buffalo podcast with your hosts, Andrew Chang and Justin Goddard. Hello and welcome to the Wandering Buffalo podcast, a show on the built-in Buffalo network. My name is Andrew Chang, and alongside me is my co-host, Justin Goddard. Tonight, we're going to recap the most recent preseason game where the Bills destroyed the Bears. We're going to talk about the latest Bills uh, player to get on the top 100 list voted by the NFL peers. And then we're going to recap some small news after that. As always, you can find us on most social media and podcasting platforms, and even on YouTube by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. And in addition, you can find us as well as other amazing shows and content by looking up the Built-in Buffalo Network. But before we get into tonight's episode, we got to introduce a very, very special guest, uh, someone who, or this conglomerate of people who I really enjoy their work. It's Nate from the Circling the the Wagons podcast. I can't even talk right now. (laughs) Um, But Nate, how are you doing tonight? I am doing so good, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, this is uh, by far the best time to be a Bills fan, to talk Bills football, and I'm glad to be on with you guys. For sure, for sure. And I know we kind of talked about this uh, before we kicked off this episode, but huge inspiration. We had Bruce on uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and Justin's a huge fan of Bruce and really an inspiration for how he got into podcasting. And for me, it was actually you and your podcast. So I, I, I definitely want to say great job on the work and everything you do. I, always a good listen. Check them out if you haven't. Yeah, you know, those those are amazing words. Thank you so much, Andrew, for saying that. Um, it's one of those things where, um, and I know you guys, you know, are, are several episodes in, so you're figuring this all out. But man, it's all a process, just like anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you keep trying, you get better. When we first started, we had, you know, you know, we were happy to get 20 or 30 listens, you know, in a week or two, you know, like that was that was a huge deal mm-hmm. for us. And then, you know, we were fortunate enough to uh, jump on with Buffalo Rumblings when they first started. We were one of the first uh, we were the first podcast on their platform mm-hmm. um, when it first came about. And yeah, man, it's just grinding. When we first started, uh, you know, fun little fact is the first year of Sean McDermott. And we thought, you know, because we were used to new regimes that the bills were going to stink, you know, the first season with Sean McDermott, it was a new change. You know, they had traded away so many players. I mean, there was just a dumping of talent um, from the roster. So we're like, okay, well we had this soundbite picked out. Now maybe I'll play it sometime this year. Um, just for, just for all time's sake, but it was called, uh, the tank is on. So it'd be like, have you ever heard that song? The heat is on that old mm-hmm. 80s song. And I would just, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the heat is on. Yeah. So I basically just dubbed my, my own voice saying tank for the tank is, yeah, it was, it was fun. And I was like, I'm going to play this every week. Cause they're going to be terrible. And they were not bad at all that season. And we're like, okay we got something here. Let's just keep going with it. And we did. And it's been a, it's been a fun ride. We've been very fortunate to talk uh, good bills football for the last four years. So. Yeah. It's sounds like you guys uh, went through the journey and it paid off in dividends. And I got to say, I, I think you guys were always amazing from the start because when I came out of grad school, I, I kind of had, 
I still have this somewhat of a desk job. And I was like, wow, work is kind of boring. <laughs> so what can I do? I was like, all right, I'm just going to go through Spotify. And I just typed in Buffalo Bills. And you were like one of the first podcasts to pop up. And I just played. And I was like, oh, I like this. Next week. Then the week after. And after. And after. I was like, oh, I really like this. So big inspiration. That's how I kind of got into it. Yeah, you know, I, 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 like I said before, I absolutely appreciate that. Those are very kind words, and I, I absolutely never take them for granted. And I think one of the things that, you know, when we first started, there was like five Bills fan podcasts or so out there, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons we started, because we didn't really have, there wasn't really a voice for us that we really, because I was the same way, you know, I graduated and I was just like listening. I got really into podcasts. I first started with fantasy podcasts. I'm like, oh, you know, why don't I check out what's going on with the bills? Joe B did a podcast, but it was like once mm-hmm. a month. And I'm like, Joe, come on, man. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get this started. Let's, let's get more content than just once every month or two, you know, and the Sal Marana was doing it, but he wasn't really, you know, my flavor, but by the way, he's blocked us on Twitter already. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even see what he tweets anymore, but, um, you know, it just didn't really reach out to us. So we wanted to do something fun that was a little bit different. And Bruce is, you know, in his own universe, as far as like what he brings to the table, what we try to bring to the table is like some insightful talk and discussion and things that actually make you think and whatever, but also like to entertain because, you know, when we do during the season, when we do our recaps, you know, we're, we're just three best friends from high school and we just like to, you know, just talk your favorite team, right? Like it's almost like a conversation you would have with your friends mm-hmm. after a bills game or, you know, anytime you're out together, except it's a little bit more structured and stuff like that. But no, no, I, I absolutely appreciate, you know, you guys having me on and, and saying all those kind thoughts and, uh, and whatnot. I know you guys, okay, I'm going to come on again after this. Don't worry. So <laughs> <laughs> whatever you guys say that, you know, I, I appreciate it for sure. It's kind for of sure. funny the the way you described how, how you got started and like the kind of, just a couple of guys, few guys talking about your favorite team. It was kind of like when we started talking about this idea and we were like talking about the vibe we were going for. I was like, I just want it to be like a recorded conversation. If it was just like you and your, you and your guy friends having some beers in the garage and you start talking about the bills and like whatever tangents it takes you down and all that, like just put that, just put that onto a recording and, and put it out there in the world. And that's kind of, Similar vibe to what we're going for, too. So that's really cool. Yeah, you ever notice that sometimes those are the best Bills conversations you have? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I love listening to, you know, all the all the good podcasts out there, all the media members that do podcasts. But sometimes really the best insightful conversation comes with, like, the guy at work, right? Like, there was this guy I used to work with who was in his 60s who would, you know, like, talk about, like, the Bills in the 70s and, you know, O.J. Simpson watching him play. And he would have these thoughts. And I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to use that on the podcast this next <laughs> week because it's a little bit more insightful than, you know, the, the problem is, and I try not to listen to too too many other podcasts just because I don't want it to kind of warp what I think. And I don't want it to become an echo chamber for all of Bill's mafia from what we say, but um, there's some insightful stuff. I was at a wedding this last weekend. We were just talking about, I missed the second half of the Bill's bears game. I did catch the highlights of it, but I was talking with them about it and just kind of getting their thoughts. And they're like, yeah, you know, and so it kind of made for interesting conversation when we recorded last night about it and I led with it, but yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I, that's cool that you guys are doing it. And you know, that's what, you know, Bill's mafia just kind of needs just more discussion about it and just needs more, you know, competition out there and people doing it. And uh, yeah, you guys are a perfect example. Well, thank you for those kind words before we get lost in the conversation. We probably should get along with the agenda for time's sake, but uh, thank you again. And 
let's kick things off with the preseason game. So the Bills had a preseason game with the Chicago Bears on Saturday, and they destroyed them. <laughs> Quite literally dismantled the Bears in every shape and form. I, I don't think there was a point where I was like, oh, man, like, this player is much better than ours. I wish we had him. That just never really crossed my mind. And I got some notes, some for offense, some for defense, and some for special team. I know Justin brought that to the table, too. But uh, I figured we'd just kind of do a round-robin style and just take it from there. Sound good to you? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's start with the offense. Uh, for me, right off the bat, and no surprise here, but the Bills, man, they they have the best QB room in the NFL, hands down, in my opinion. And I don't think there's a, a close second, really. And Mitch Trubisky looked super good. I don't know if it was because it was his birthday the day before, or maybe it was the day after, but regardless, I don't know if it was his birthday or the fact that he was coming back to Chicago, the the game that was labeled his revenge game, but I'm sure to him it was just another preseason game. <laughs> but four drives, four touchdowns, I mean, and Trubisky finished the half going 20 of 28 for 220 yards and a touchdown. Pretty awesome. He had that sweet scramble, too. Oh, thought yeah. he was, like, dead to rights in the backfield, and he scampered out for the for the first down there. Uh, it, as far as it being, like, you know, just another preseason game for him, like, I kind of agree with that. But there's also, like, that innate human nature to be, like, this is the team that cast me off. Like, preseason mm-hmm. or not, you got to come into that game with a little bit of a little bit of extra moxie, and I think he really showed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with it being in Chicago in front of their fans as well mm-hmm. to prove a point. Now, I always thought, now, Andrew, I always kind of thought like you did for a long time as far as like, you know, it's just another preseason game. And um, I mentioned this in our podcast last night that, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of fantasy football podcasts, right? And mm-hmm. they always are like, you know, when – the player that's been traded or cut or, you know, signed to another team that was cast off from their previous team. Like that's a revenge game. Like perfect example was when like Deshaun Jackson went from what the Eagles to like the Redskins. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, you're going to want to, you know, plug, you know, Deshaun, uh, um, Deshaun Jackson into your lineup. Like he's going to have a big game. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like it's just another game, right? Like it's, it's literally week 10, like it's week 10, no matter what. And sure enough, he has like 200 yards receiving, which he never does. Like, you know, there's, there is absolutely something I'm convinced now that, that there is a revenge game and we don't, he doesn't know when he's going to get a chance to play them again. It's still kind of new. It's still kind of raw for him. Um, and, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, I don't know if it's necessarily his fault of everything that went mm. uh, down and happened in Chicago. So I definitely have some sympathy for him in that respect. I mean, it wasn't his fault that he was drafted, what, number one overall, like that mm. that season. And, you know, they, they had to trade up for him. I mean, as Bears fans, they had to be upset anyway, because what, they have to move up one spot and they gave up like five picks or something oh, stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and that is that Mitchell Trubisky's fault? No. It kind of reminds me of Sammy Watkins. Remember when we traded a first-round pick for Sammy Watkins and moved up to get him? Mm-hmm. Like, everyone was just a little bit pissed just in the fact that they had to give up so much for him. And then it's like, okay, well, this guy better pan out. And he didn't. He wasn't terrible. But, 
everyone was just upset. It's just like Dante Whitner. He was drafted number eight overall. Normally, you don't take a safety that early. It wasn't Dante Whitner's fault that he was drafted at the top of the first round. I mean, it was a bit. So I definitely, but like you, like you guys both mentioned, um, he looked surgical um, out there. He he looked really good uh, placing the ball where he needed to, finding guys uh, open, and then also, uh, you know, throwing them open on a couple of different times. Uh, I, the one thing I will say is, which which I'm glad that he's not our starting quarterback is, is that I feel like Josh Allen always gives, he like throws his guys open a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So you'll get a little bit more yards after catch with his guys. Mitch Trubisky reminded me of uh, kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick, where you throw those slants and the guy gets tackled right away, or it's like a comeback route, you know, and the guy catches the ball, but it's like eight yards and tackled right away. Um, but I mean, still, he looked really good. He makes me so much more confident in the Bills offense if Josh Allen gets injured this season. And for whatever reason, you know, I don't even want to say that, but like, you know, knock on what he ever gets injured. Um, I think I think I feel much better than if Matt Barkley were back there for sure. Yeah, and I I totally agree. You've changed my mind on the revenge game. And speaking of revenge game, I don't know why this comes up to my head, but I just think about how LaShawn McCoy went back to Philly and he came out, kissed the the Eagle <laughs> insignia at, at midfield, and then when we lost. He just—he was the first person into the tunnel. He was just so mad. I just don't know why that comes to my mind. I felt so bad for Shady, but <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's probably one of those games where Rex Ryan made him a captain too, so he felt even worse when they <laughs> lost. Because <laughs> that's what he loved to do. He loved to make those guys the captain from for when they uh, played their former teams. But yeah, for sure. I'm so glad sure. we started podcasting after the Rex era. <laughs> <laughs> This is so much more fun. Yeah, it would have right? been, yeah. been like a actual third job coming to do this. And be like, Rex said something stupid again. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Justin? Uh, so for me, Spencer Brown. I I couldn't stop watching him. Um, there, was, there was back-to-back plays. Um, there was a bubble screen to Isaiah McKenzie um, when you watch it. Spencer Brown gets out into the open field and makes a really nice block to spring him for like another five yards. And then the immediate play following it, um, there's the a screen pass to Singletary, which looks like it's getting blown up in the backfield, and Singletary makes the first guy miss. And then just as he's cutting up the field, Spencer Brown's out there probably like five, ten yards from from the sideline, throwing a block to spring him for, for another five, 10 yards again. Um, I thought the first week of preseason, he looked, he looked the, the raw part. Um, he had some moments, he had some down moments. Um, but just watching this game, it's something I'm trying really hard to do this year. Um, especially on like my second watch through is focus a little bit more on, on the trenches and see what's going on there and play after play. I was watching him and, he he was like pushing a guy into the inside and kicking back out to take care of the D end. He looked he looked the part to me this this past game. Yeah, I mean he looked he looked raw like you said last week versus the Lions and a little worried. But again, I mean th- there was nobody that went into this season thinking he was going to be a day one starter. I mean that wasn't the point of drafting Spencer Brown in the third round. Um, it was mostly based off of athletic potential. And, you know, again, he came from a small college too. So it wasn't like, 
the guy was play, you know, playing in the SEC, playing against, you know, future pros um, at all levels. Uh, I, w- I would agree with everything Justin said. Um, there was this, I'd also add that there was this, uh, this play that cover one uh, showed on there on, on social media where uh, he basically buries Khalil Mack um, as, as Khalil Mack's trying to, trying to bend the edge. And instead of him getting the edge, I mean, Spencer Brown just uses his length and his arms to just shove him into the ground because he can't get that leverage. He, he can't get that bent. So he just kind of like falls into the ground and, and, and like to just put the cherry on top of it. Uh, Spencer Brown just lands right on top of Khalil Mack and just buries him into the ground. And you're like, man, like if this is just a glimpse of what this guy's potential is to take on one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And this wasn't like a, a rep where, you know, Cleo Mack took off. He just didn't try. I mean, this was full effort and Spencer Brown looked great. And he was at right tackle on that, on that particular play. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by it for sure. Especially because what you'd been reading out of camp was that, you know, he didn't look great. He didn't look bad, but he was getting beat by Ebenezer mm-hmm. and Rousseau. And so you're kind of like, well, you know, let's we're hoping to see some more positives out of it. And I think uh, this last Saturday was, was one of those positives and it has to make you optimistic for a guy that's hopefully going to be the swing tackle this season and hopefully doesn't get pressed into too much uh, play this year. And if it is one of those things, you hope it's because he's outplaying the guy ahead of him, maybe Daryl Williams, but um, yeah, it's got to make you encouraged about, you know, the future, just, just in in what you saw in that little uh, glimpse on Saturday over the previous Friday. Yeah, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I I can't really add too much to that, but I was very pleased at, I guess, the step that he took into becoming more consistent. Uh, I feel like maybe this time around he didn't think too much about it. Like he was just playing football. And yeah, if he, if he can reach that ceiling and body people like Khalil Mack consistently we we got us a steal in the third round and I'm very very happy about it I just just wanted to touch on one other thing to to Nate's point about you know hearing his ups and downs um dealing with Epinesa and Russo we we talked about this a few weeks ago of like being this time of year when it's like the every day you're hearing like the offense won today the defense won today blah 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 and for so many years, it was like our, our defense was winning in practice every day. And it was kind of just a nod to what our offense looked like. So it's kind of hard to gauge, you know, is our defense really bad? Is our offense really good? Um, but now seeing a little bit more from Epinesa and Russo in, in game time, um, like maybe it's not so bad that he's getting beat by them sometimes in practice because those dudes are coming on strong and, and look like they're legit NFL starters too. So that's just an interesting time of the year for that type of thing for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an excellent point, Justin. And I think in previous years, the defense was always ahead for the most part. It was like maybe towards the end of camp, like the offense would finally score a touchdown or two or something ridiculous like that. But um, yeah, this year, I mean, Josh Allen, you know, automatically came out hot and yeah, I think with what we've seen in the little, Parts and I know we're going to get to defense. So I don't want to talk too much about Epinesa and Rousseau. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with with what you said, Justin. So maybe it's not necessarily that it's 
it's uh, Spencer Brown not looking so good as it really is the defensive line being that good uh, this season or this offseason, this preseason. Right, right. Second offensive note for me, at least, uh, has to be McKenzie in general. Right, so let's talk about his punt returns. First one was okay. Then the second one he muffs, which wasn't was not good. I mean, whenever is that good in general kind of reminds me of uh, Leotis McKelvin. <laughs> you know, I, whenever we put him back there, I was like, oh god! But like, that, it, I don't think McKenzie's that at that level, and he's been working on it. And his third punt uh, punt return was pretty good, in my opinion. And what I liked the most about McKenzie's performance was that after that muff punt. It didn't slow him down, and you also didn't see the Bills put him on the sideline. Like you remember when Zach Moss fumbled that football uh, on Monday Night Football against the 49ers, and then <laughs> we just didn't see Zach Moss ever again. <laughs> that game, you know, I always thought to myself like maybe that was a mistake because stuff like that, at least for me, when whenever I mess up, it is the biggest motivator for me to prove that I can correct that mistake. And with McKenzie, he just ended up playing really well in the next couple of punt returns that he, opportunities he got. And he did really good as a receiver. So I, I thought he showed a lot of speed and awareness and just tenacity getting over that initial uh, hiccup. Yeah, for, for me, that, that one big punt return he had, I thought that was going to the house. When when you see his wheel start going, uh, he makes the first guy miss, and uh, I believe the second guy. And usually when McKenzie's making one two guys miss, like I'm I'm standing up waiting for that one to go to the house. I did get to a certain point in the game where I was all set on seeing him as a receiver. He was out there, he was doing his thing, he was getting open, he was catching balls, and then I just start thinking about him being a smaller guy and like my head just goes to injuries like let's get him out of there we have other guys on the depth chart that we need to look at for that six possible receiver seven spot like let's just get him out of the game and let's let Kumaro and Lenore and Powell go to work and and see what's going on there so I, I think he ended up with like six catches 70 yards something like that like once we got to like four, I was all set on seeing McKenzie catching balls, but he looked really good to me. Yeah. I mean, everything you guys just said, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, I, I always just pay more attention to the special teams aspect um, just because unless there's an injury and I know they like to throw him in, you know, and do jet sweep motions and stuff like that. He just doesn't get a ton of targets and the bills run four wide sets and still I can't see an option where he'll definitely be on the field over guys like Gabe Davis or even, you know, Jake Kumaro potentially at this point. I don't know. I, I like Isaiah McKenzie. I think his role still in special teams. And, um, you know, I, I I'm thinking about this more and more today. Um, now that we're past that game and I've had a little bit more time to think about it and wouldn't it be interesting, but not completely crazy if the Bills kept Marquez Stevenson over Isaiah McKenzie. And the only reason I even think about that is because Stevenson had that huge punt return touchdown. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I mean, he's shown what he could do in the preseason with the first game against the Bears, where he caught that, you know, great pass to set them up for the field goal. I'm sorry, not against the Bears, the Lions, where he set them up for the field, the game-winning field goal. And guys like that, I mean, geez, if Ray 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 McLeod can get picked up like 10 different times on, you know, different teams, like, I don't know if Marcus Stevenson is going to clear waivers. And I have to think, you know, Brandon Bean loves his draft picks. And if it's even close, I mean, it sounds stupid to say it out loud, but if you could keep a, what is he, a fifth or sixth round pick on the roster for four years, as opposed to a one year, you know, guy like Isaiah McKenzie, I know they love Isaiah McKenzie, but I mean, part of me thinks that this, this might happen. I mean, if the preseason continues to go this well, they won't be able to keep Marquez Stevenson. And if they can't keep Marquez Stevenson, will they be able to keep, who would they replace him with? They're not replacing, you know, they're not going to take Jake Kumaro out of the active roster for him. Um, where, where it makes the most sense. And with that muffed punt that Isaiah McKenzie has, which he does have a history of those, that was not a one-time offense. And that in a normal game could potentially cost them the game. It's a 14 point swing. Maybe, you know, like, I don't know. I know. What do you guys think about that? Since we're doing round table time, is there any possibility? I don't think it's necessarily going to happen, but after this past weekend, I think it's a possibility at least. So I know for me, I'm kind of, I'm going to echo a little bit of what you said there. And I definitely think it's a possibility. And I, if it, if it doesn't happen, this is how I see how it could go down. And I can't take a hundred percent credit for this because I believe I heard this uh, through locked on bills through Joe Marino. And we saw Marquez Stevenson leave that game with a foot or leg injury if I'm not mistaken, and they, you know, Sean McDermott said the x-rays came back negative, but I was like, x-rays? Wait, x-rays? What, what do you mean x-rays? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, But I think there's a possibility that Marquez Stevenson might get the Isaiah Hodgins treatment, and he might go to IR, so we could hold on to a guy like Marquez Stevenson if he's not good to go or if you know the bills are just unwilling to part ways with marquez stevenson they don't want to put him out there to waivers and in addition to that i think marquez stevenson has shown a lot of promise and spoiler this is my special teams takeaway that i thought that punt return for a touchdown that he had just showed his pure speed like he out legit just outran the coverage and there was nothing anyone on the bears team could do and you know i understand special team is a team effort but when when a guy like him just puts it into that next year like i mean what what can you do so i don't know if i really answer your question but if uh you know i could see it happening bottom line and if it does happen I won't be surprised. Here I was thinking I had this clever answer lined up with the with the the injured reserve idea, um, which is where I was going with it. I could very well see them being impressed with where Stevenson is at, and you know, kind of kind of getting the first idea of what he could be for the team. 
um, but maybe still being more comfortable with Isaiah McKenzie this year. So kind of stash him away on the IR. And then, you know, when next year comes around, you're not really feeling like you need to keep Isaiah McKenzie anymore because you know what you have in Stevenson. Um, the injury kind of threw a little curveball into what I was thinking with that because I, I originally was looking at it as like, I think Kumaro makes the roster. I think McKenzie makes the roster. And I think McKenzie was putting too much on tape for them to not keep seven wide receivers, which they don't usually do. Um, but depending on how what the time frame looks like for that injury, I, I'm kind of up in the air on it. But I did like your point of, you know, if he's wide receiver five, six, I think to, you know, Andre Roberts when he was kind of just mostly a special teams guy and, you know, you didn't really ever see him out there running routes. And that's what I look for in my fifth, six receivers mm-hmm. on this team is uh, what can you do on special teams, which is why I'm such a big fan of Jay Kumaro. And, and for me, I, I agree with you, Isaiah McKenzie's a fun gadget play guy and all that. I do think Stevenson could fill that role in his rookie year on the cheap labor for the next four years. Um, the, the injury just really throws a curveball into whether, I, whether or not I think they're comfortable making that decision over the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's all a good point. I mean, their injury is really important. I mean, for what it sounds like, um, maybe with the exception of Harrison Phillips, at least at this point, you know, they expect uh, expect most guys to be ready for the regular season, barring another injury in this preseason game or this third one against the Packers. Mm-hmm. But, um, Andrew, can I get a chance, Justin, can I get a chance to throw in a, a roundtable discussion oh, for sure. topic for uh, oh, yeah. the offense? Um, one of the biggest storylines for me, which I guess I didn't expect, um, at all to happen was uh, Deion Dawkins returning to the starting lineup um, in the first couple of series uh, with the way that he had spoken about COVID and, and, and how he was hospitalized for four days, how he lost 15 pounds of weight. And, you know, in that time, you know, that whole time he was sick, it's not like he's working out like he normally would be in the off season. So, you know, he's losing weight, he's losing muscle mass. Um, he's losing his cardio capacity, his aerobic capacity. And it's just like, you know, I, I was worried that he might not be ready for the regular season. Um, you know, that thought crossed my mind. We're Bills fans. You know, we, we think like that every once in a while. <laughs> Worst case scenario. Um, and, and to see him out there and not completely struggling was uh, a positive sign just to, for him getting reps out there. And I think that that was just such a positive sign for him starting week one and maybe not being 100% by then. But, you know, being able to make up the rest of that 100% throughout the uh, the beginning of the season as games went on. And, you know, like at this point, I mean, we just mentioned how we like Spencer Brown's play. I mean, 90% of Deion Dawkins, I think at this point, is still much better than Spencer Brown um, going mm-hmm. forward. So um, what did you guys think of that? Were you surprised with him playing? I thought he did amazing for all things considered. And I was very worried because... McDermott said, like, Dion's not really anywhere close to where he needs to be. And that got me worried because, and in addition to everything that Dion said himself, I was like, oh, my God. I hope, and not even from a football perspective, but from a humanitarian perspective, I was like, I I had these thoughts in myself, like, oh, my God, I hope that, you know, Dion's going to be okay. Like, 
just in general because it's not healthy for your body to lose that much weight and literally just to go through that harsh of a strain and then just you know to get tossed into an nfl game with strenuous physical activity where the other person across from you is in peak physical performance running into you at full speed <laughs> you know I, I just i just really wanted him to be healthy and i was very happy with what i saw on saturday and i think he's on the upswing yeah it, for me it was um you know all the things you said about you know he's not working out and all that um i went to uh a Kyle Williams public speaking event once, and he was kind of talking about um, just retiring from football and what it took to stay in football shape as a as a bigger guy in the trenches, and just talking about how you know he would be setting alarms all throughout the night to wake up two, four, six a.m. so he could eat meals to keep his weight up, and it was like it's not like he was getting up for a midnight snack of ice cream. He was waking up at 4 a.m. to eat some some plain grilled chicken and steamed broccoli and a side of rice. Um, so just thinking about that level of commitment to staying in your football shape to, you know, right as the season's about to start to go through, you know, two weeks of dealing with COVID and not being able to do all that type of stuff and not being able to work out and you know these guys are fierce competitors, and and he's just ready to ramp up for the season. And then you get this huge roadblock thrown your way, and for what it's worth, he he's bouncing back better than I would. He's more of a man than I am. <laughs> he he was out there. He looked great. I saw a video today of um, he stayed after practice with uh, Mario Edison was out there just running conditioning after practice was over. So. You know, for for who the snowman is as a person, uh, he's not going to let it slow him down. I think he'll be out there week one. He might not play, you know, the full game. Uh, I'm hoping for maybe a little bit of a beatdown in Pittsburgh so he can, you know, maybe play two, three quarters and be able to rest a little bit. Um, But I think he'll be out there. He'll be ready to go when the time comes. Yeah, I'm hoping for a beatdown against Pittsburgh too because I have a wedding at 430 that afternoon on opening day, which is absolutely ridiculous. That assault that lead. I I know. I know what's going to happen too, is it's going to be a tight game and I'm going to be like, you know, trying to get to the wedding on time and I'm going to be watching on my phone as my wife drives to the venue and it's just going to be ridiculous. I'm going to be upset, of course, the way it's going to be. But um, yeah, you know, it's funny as I, uh, I have a few parents of football players. I'm not close with the current roster at all, obviously, but uh, there's a few parents on on the of players on the team that I interact with on social media. And uh, Dion Dawkins' mom follows us on on uh, Instagram, and and she'll like message every once in a while and stuff like that. And I and I reached out to her. She's Mama Docs, by the way, on Instagram, Mama Docs, and. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know, just so you know, we're all thinking about Dion. We heard what happened. She's like, yeah, I was really scary, this and that. I'm like, all right, well, you know, just take care. And you take care of yourself too, Mama Docs. No one no one wants to see you get sick either. So super cool. Nice lady. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 good to see. Now, another point I wanted to bring up, not to not to overtake your show, Andrew and Justin, but uh, is Jacob Hollister, man. Like, I, 
I, I am not ready to sleep on him. We were talking about Marquez Stevenson versus Isaiah McKenzie. Everyone pretty much figured that Dawson Knox was going to take that TE1 job, and he very well might just because of how long he's been on the team and the system and everything like that. But I think Jacob Hollister could make a good point for potentially seeing some reps sneaking in there, maybe taking over the position at some point. I mean, if Dawson Knox has more drops uh, continuing on uh, in practices and the preseason, um, I could see them making room. He looked good on Saturday. And uh, we were talking about yak earlier. I mean, he had some yak on that one catch, man. Yeah, I mean, he and he looked good. I mean, he's like quick. He's not fast. He's just quick in certain spaces, and uh, and I I was impressed with him. I mean, this was really the first time I got to see him in in live uh, action as a as a Bills uh, as Bills tight end. What'd you guys think? I thought, well, first of all, don't feel the need to apologize for taking over the show because you went exactly where I was thinking about going. So you beat me to it, but I'm happy you did it, and. When it comes to Jacob Hollister, I thought he made the most of his opportunities out there. Now, we know he's behind Knox, uh, and Knox only had one catch, and he had one drop. But Hollister, to your point, he looked really good. And one play, it might not be the best play, but when he caught the ball, I think it was like a crossing route, and then he looked upfield had a couple steps and then tried hurtling the Bears player, which I it didn't it wasn't a big hurdle because clearly he got tackled. <laughs> but just that kind of energy and the the willingness to make a play like that, and the fact that he was able to catch the ball consistently, I I don't necessarily you know they there there was talk about like you know the gap between tight end one and tight end two like it hasn't closed. I think that gap got a little thinner after uh, that game on Saturday. It's funny you brought up the hurdle because, like, in, in my notes from watching the game, the only negative I had down for Jacob Hollister was that hurdle. <laughs> I loved it. I, I'm all for it in the regular season. You know, we're driving. We need a score to win the game, whatever. At, Nate, listening to your show, I hear you talk all the time about let's just get out of here without injuries. No injuries, no injuries, no injuries. And – Whenever I see somebody go airborne like that, I'm I'm just thinking about like the 842 things that can go wrong versus what can go right. I I love the energy too. I I can't blame him, and he's trying to make his mark and plant his flag. But boy, did I get nervous watching that. I was like, hey, this guy looks good. Maybe we have an emerging tight end. I've never really seen a good tight end in a Bills offense. He looks good. Oh, he's gonna die right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he almost pulled a Don Beebe on that one. You yeah, know, where that, he went head over and he just like bounced on his head. Um, mm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. The, the no injuries is so much more important than anything. And even the tight end, I mean, in my lifetime, I'm older than you guys, and uh, we've never had a good tight end ever. We've we've had, I mean, I, I should say like really good tight ends. We've had decent tight ends. You know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. uh, Jay like, Reemersma. Jay Reemersma, uh, Pete Metzlars. Yeah, like they existed, uh, but they were, but they were like good because Jim Kelly made them good. They weren't necessarily good on their own. Uh, looking back mm-hmm. at it, but they were the best we had, and that's not really a high watermark when it comes to tight ends. I mean, I feel like we always maybe that's why we give you know Dawson Knox a lot of credit because athletically he's there. It's just a matter of really putting it all together 
And we're just so starved for that, that we're looking to guys like Dawson Knox. Uh, who was it a few years ago? Why am I blanking? Sean Nelson. Sean Nelson. Yes, exactly. We thought he had that one amazing play mm-hmm. and then that was it. Um, you know, uh, yeah, we've just, uh, Kevin Everett. I remember even, you know, him coming out. I was excited about that. Um, uh, who is, why am I forgetting the guy we just got from the dolphins who never, Oh, Charles Clay, Charles Clay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he's, that's how forgetful he is. I couldn't even remember his name. Uh, that's how much of an impact. Yeah. We've been, Oh yeah. It has been a drought. It was a drought for 17 years in the playoffs. It's been a drought since the franchise started for like a really, really good tight end. Yeah. yeah. For, we paid that. Go ahead. Uh, for, for me with Dawson Knox as I'm as big of a Dawson Knox fan as as you'll see. I'm all for giving him the time to to fully make the transition and all that. Um, but what what's so infuriating watching him is he makes these ridiculous circus catches, like one handed pulls it into his helmet while his legs are getting cut out and and comes down with the ball, and like he'll do that and rumble on for another ten yards after that, and then we'll just do like a tight end screen to the flat and there's nobody within eight yards of him. And like, those are the ones that bounce off his hands. Like I'd understand if you dropped a couple of those other wild ones, but like the simple routine play, it seems to be what he struggles with. And I I don't, that's what I can't really understand there. Yeah. It's almost like he suffers from third down Scott Chandler, Stonehand syndrome, you know, like remember the Scott Chandler would be like, oh, Fitzpatrick would put it right there. Third and five, hit him right in the hands, and he would just drop it every single time it felt like. But, yeah, you're right. It's almost like when he has to concentrate on it, like literally has to, he comes down with it every time. Um, you know, if there's two DBs draped over his back and there's only room for, you know, the ball in his hands, I mean, he makes it work. But, like, yeah, if if he's if it's hitting him in stride and he's got room to run, he'll drop it. And it's just, I, that's almost like sports psychologist sort of territory because we know he has the ability and he's put it together. It's not like he drops every, he's not Zay Jones, you know, he doesn't drop everything, but he'll, <laughs> he'll drop the easy ones and catch the hard ones. But yeah, I mean, and you know, for, for what people say, this is one of the reasons I didn't want to draft a tight end in the first round a couple of years ago is it takes tight ends so long to develop. We don't think about it because we live, you know, day in and day out by the Buffalo Bills is that, you know, besides like a George Kittle or an outlier like that, I mean, even, you know, certain guys like Zach Ertz, I think like it takes them like even the good ones, like two or three years to really come on. And then mostly it's like guys that are like four or five years. And you're also talking about guys that didn't just convert to tight end, you know, in college, like these guys have been playing tight end for a long time. And not only that, they had a hell of a lot more receptions then Dawson Knox did it. Ole Miss Dawson Knox had like 43 receptions in three years there. And it's like, you know, you look at Mike Jacecki and he's already turning into a really good tight end. He had like three times the amount of receptions and targets that mm-hmm. Dawson Knox did. And he looks great in his third year. It's like Dawson Knox, if, if he's ever going to get it is going to take longer than most tight ends just by, I think the fact that, you know, he's not George Kittle and, you know, in his rookie season or his second season, he got over a thousand yards. I mean, I, I think that there's, there's, we just, we run so many four wide receiver sets. We don't really need a great tight end. So you were talking about Joe Marino earlier uh, and lockdown bills. He brought up a really great point about, you know, only keeping two tight ends this season. And I couldn't really argue with it because it's like, you know, we need to find ways to get these really talented guys on the roster. Somehow, how do you do it? Two QBs, you know, you don't keep a third one, 
two tight two tight ends. You don't keep a third one. And I mean, Tommy Sweeney, like, sure, we love the guy. We love, you know, what he we respect what he's been through, but he's a third year guy. He was a seventh round pick. You're not talking about a guy that was like a third or fourth round pick that might still have potential. Like, I'm okay drop. I'm okay cutting a guy like that. He'll probably make the practice squad anyway. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Dawson Knox thing, I mean, it's still an ongoing experiment. I'll still have patience with him, but still doesn't mean I'm not going to get frustrated with him from time to time. Okay. For sure. I get, and I got a quick question before we move to defense. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you said two tight ends, and I agree with you there. So with Reggie Gilliam getting the fullback label, are you keeping him or are you cutting him? Keeping Reggie Gilliam? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely keeping him at this point. Okay. Okay. And that's what, and that's actually was the point Joe was making was how do you make room for him? You keep two tight ends so that, and then that way he can split out, you know, and and play tight end. I mean, the guy's shown, he's shown he can, by the way, they played one of my favorite Madden plays on Saturday, like the fullback dive at the goal line. Oh, it gets like, it's like always works on Madden every time. Um, And surprisingly, you know, it's just funny. I feel like Brian Dable and, the coaching staff and the offensive coaching staff sometimes misses those easy plays that like other teams do like draw plays and stuff like that. They just, for some reason, the bills just don't run them that often. And it's something they can be so successful mm-hmm. at, especially with the way that they pass the ball. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that's how that, I think they definitely keep them. I mean, he's shown, he's shown his ability to make plays in only his second year as an undrafted guy. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I think that that's, I think they keep him. What do you think, Andrew? I definitely didn't think he was going to make this roster originally. And after that first presser that Dayball said where, you know, he's going to have to make, we'll see if he makes a rollout on this offense. And I think, I think he showed that he definitely has a role and it's his versatility. And they put him in short yard situa- uh, situations like third down, third and ones. He, you know, bounced out, ran and so the, I got a touchdown. I think he had two touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken, and had a couple conversions. And, you know, I know, uh, well, I know you're a big fan of the third and Cole, and I'm a huge fan of that saying, third and Cole. I, I don't remember what your um, other co-host on your show wanted to call that instead, but third and Cole's gold. So definitely I don't know what they wanted that. to call it. They both hated it, though, and they remind me of it every single episode. So I remind, I remind them of it that, you know, there are people out there that, like you, Andrew, that do exist and don't hate it. So appreciate that. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm here for the record. It's amazing. But hey, you might have the opportunity to make a third in Gilliam. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't sound as that great, but it, it yeah. works. Gilliam to go. <laughs> Gilliam to go. Okay. Ooh, oh, there like we it. go. I like it. I like it. You know, it's better than what somebody on Twitter uh, suggested when the Cole Beasley stuff came out with the vaccine. They're like, how about they, like, they tweeted at me? They said, Hashtag third and COVID. And I'm like, oh, God. No, oh, geez. Oh, my God. Yikes. I'm like, I, I love the, the wit of that and that, that idea. I just don't like the idea of him getting COVID. Yeah, that would be awful. All right, let's transition to some defense here. So, uh, Nate, how about you kick off the defensive takeaways here? I mean, man. I mean, you're talking about the second team defensive line versus – the first team bears offensive line and them just always feeling like it was in the face of, of Andy Dalton. It it felt like the entire first half. 
And I went through uh, on our podcast last night, I went through all the drive summaries and it was basically like punt, punt, fumble, punt, interception, turnover on downs. Um, and then there was that long touchdown against Saran Neal. Um, and then it was like, you know, punt, end of half. Like that's how all of those. And if that was a regular game, first stringers versus first stringers, you'd, you'd think that was an amazing first half. And the fact that it was the second team, I mean, you got to be excited about, you know, AJ Epinesa, which Justin, you guys mentioned earlier, um, you know, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham got in the mix this time. He looked great. Um, Ed Oliver was still playing today. I mean, Harrison Phillips looked good as well until he got the injury. Um, I mean, this team, you know, everything kind of goes with the disclaimer that it's the preseason. You know, you don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low on guys or your team. Um, but man, it's, it's hard to temper the enthusiasm at this point about not only Greg Rousseau, but, uh, but how this team is fitting together and, and what it could look like for the future, even after this season. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I went out to a bar last night right across from my street and I was talking to this guy who approached me because I was wearing a Bill shirt and I'm in Rochester. So, you know, plenty of Bills fans here and we, you know, just normal conversation, random person comes up to you, talk to the Bills, happens all the time. And he's, he tells me like, hey man, what do you think about that game on Saturday, like the D line looks pretty good. I was like, it, it has to be good. Like there's no, like there's no other option for like Brandon beans tossed in draft capital and a lot of money in it. There's only two ways you can get good in a specific area in the NFL. And that's drafting really well, hitting on those picks and putting money towards it. Brandon bean double dipped. (laughs) So I thought, that I I thought what I saw was a return on investment and, uh, you know, maybe some uh, foreshadowing on some hits. So I was very pleased with how the defensive line looked. And in general, I thought the run defense, specifically from the front four, looked very, very good too. So for me, anybody that listens to this show um, knows that I'm kind of team coverage over... Uh, team uh, pass rush um, and the way it's looking so far is kind of making me feel like I might I might be on the wrong side of that fence uh, I mean the Bears couldn't get anything done through the air if you take away that that one bomb they had uh, but you know I'm usually of the approach that with the NFL and how it's going the quarterbacks are getting the ball out of their hands so fast that you know having Having the top flight pass rush might not always really get home for you anyways. The way they look right now, it, they're affecting the quarterback on damn near every play. And, you know, it's not like we had first team all pros out there in the secondary um, playing in that game. And just how fast they were able to get home, how fast they were able to get Andy Dalton, Justin Fields to be throwing the ball. Um the coverage on the back end wasn't really something that I was able to look at too much this game because it was the ball was coming out so fast and so affected by the defensive line that you know Wild Goose looked like he struggled in the first week to me. He he looked like a, a decent corner in this game, so uh, I'm still going to be more team team coverage right now. But 
my needle's kind of swaying the other way based on how we how our uh, defensive line was affecting the passing game this game. Team coverage, you are a disciple of Bruce exclusive for sure. <sighs> I can't Bruce. stop myself. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I was thinking before this season, you know, all things being equal, if the Bills had to play the Kansas City Chiefs 10 times, how many times would they actually win playing against them? And I don't know if it would have been maybe more than two or three times out of 10. I think the Chiefs were just, I mean, they just outplayed them both times last season, both in the regular season and in the AFC Championship. And if you were to look at how it lines up now, I don't know if Patrick Mahomes' offensive line has gotten dramatically better. We'll see as the season goes on. But if they were to play them right now with uh, an improved pass rush, at least what we think it'll hopefully be this season, and being able to stop the run, like you mentioned, Andrew, I mean, um, I think there's a possibility they win five out of five times if those things, and that's all you're asking for in the playoffs. You don't need to beat them 10 out of 10 times in the playoffs. You just need a chance to win. And um, I think a better chance to win in uh, this postseasons. all the bills need to make it to that next step. You know, the first thing that came to my mind as soon as you said that was, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I just went through my head, but no, absolutely. I, I'm very optimistic when I look at this defensive line and I'm actually, you know, one area of concern that I have was this linebacker depth because, you know, outside of our starters, we have AJ Klein and then, you know, we brought in a bunch of people and I was like, who are these people? And, you know, when we first brought Andre Smith over, I was like, okay, this, this is a seventh round guy. Like, what, what is, what are we doing here? I, I don't really know the ins and outs of football, but watching him come off the edge and blow up Justin Fields, and I understand he got penalized for it, and you don't want to see injuries. So I, I get it, but that was very encouraging to me. And not even just that, I thought he played really well in the first preseason game against the Lions. And I thought he kind of picked up where he left off in this game as well. So I I thought Andre Smith, he might be the depth we need. I just put in my positives columns, just linebackers in general. I think over the last two weeks, um, Medikavich has showed that he can play some defense. And I've always just labeled him straight special teams and he looked like he belonged out there. Um, Tyrell Adams has looked good. Um, Joe Giles Harris has made plays. Um, Andre Andre Smith is a guy that I've kind of just had like blind faith in this year, just based on how much we protected him on the practice squad last year. I figured that the team saw something in him, and he's kind of um, similar to uh, a couple other guys that they just kept protecting last year. And I was like, they, they got to see something there in practice every day. And now it's kind of showing that like, yeah, maybe he was a late round pick, but sometimes those people just need a little bit more grooming, a little bit more time on task. And it, it looks like that it's panning out nicely for them right now. Yeah. I was kind of in the same camp as you, Andrew, as far as the depth at linebacker. I mean, we're still kind of trying to figure out where Tremaine Edmonds, 
fits. Um, again, he's one of those guys that has a ton of potential and has started to at least realize it. And that, you know, second half of his season last year was much better than the first half. So I think he's coming around, but we, st it still hasn't completely clicked. Right. Um, and so then, you know, we have Matt Milano stud, um, you know, great linebacker. So we're not worried there. And we really use the nickel more than anything too. So you don't truly need a, a lot of you don't really need a third linebacker all that often, but EJ Klein has proved, I mean, he was a guy that, you know, looked lost at first when Milano went out and then he kind of, you know, pulled everything together and, and he looked a lot better uh, the second half of the season as well. And then you're just like, well, who's after that, right? You just got a bunch of guys. You got, you know, Tyler Medikavich, special teams guy. You got Andre Smith, special teams guy. You know, then they signed um, Tyrell Adams, you know, uh, depth linebacker, right? Like you're just thinking, and I remember going into the draft and talking with uh, Matt Warren, the editor-in-chief of BuffaloRomans.com, mm -hmm. and I messaged him over Twitter. He was doing a Q&A uh, for the podcast over at the network, and I was like, hey, you know, he listed like the top 10 needs and linebacker wasn't on there. I'm like, how is linebacker not on there? He's like, we have like three guys, maybe like, you know, you need at least a rookie at some point, like late in the draft or something, uh, because they just really haven't hit. Voshan Joseph didn't work out last season. Um, so, you know, we don't really know. We have Ty in Tyrell Dodson. We'd like it, but he's an undrafted guy. This is his, what, his third season. He was injured all of last season. So we still don't know what we have. And he's like, no, I think we, I think we, we have guys there. You know, they only use two linebackers for the most part. And then all of a sudden, you know, we just take for granted McDermott's ability to develop players into more than just what they are right off the bat. Right. So Andre Smith was never really, you know, uh, used much in Carolina as a linebacker. We come here, he's starting to develop into one of those guys, not just a special teams guy. I mean, back in the day when you had, you know, Rex Ryan as head coach or Chan Geely, like if that's what the guy did, that's all he did. If it was Marcus Easley, he was never going to become a wide receiver like you wanted him to, to become. He was going to be a special teams player and that's it. So we aren't used to this as Bills fans, uh, seeing these guys develop in the way that they do. And I think that, you know, Sean McDermott and his coaching staff deserve a ton of credit because if you think about it, if you could have Tyler Medikevich and Andre Smith as your uh, backup linebackers and also, uh, you know, your special team aces, I mean, you're just, you're just maximizing that roster as much as you possibly can mm -hmm. with spots so that you can use, you know, another spot for something else. Like we were mentioning a Reggie Gilliam or like if Isaiah Hodgins isn't injured, I could see him being poached or Marcus Stevenson. Like you want to keep these guys, uh, on the roster as much as you can so that, so that they don't leave. And if, uh, and if you can find a spot and you know, like, like this, like Jake Kumro does why he's a wide receiver. Especially, I mean, you got to do it wherever you can. And, and the bills coaching staff, man, they deserve a lot of credit, especially if these two guys, uh, pan out and Medikevich and Andre Smith on defense. Well yeah. said, <laughs> Justin. Um, so, kind of, kind of in a similar vein here is uh, a guy that kept catching my eye is Justin Zimmer. Um, kind of the same idea. He was, I believe, he was undrafted, and just seems to be kind of taking some time. But he's just such an effort guy, and he's so he's got such quick feet for his size. And what I love about him is I think back to the Cam Newton play last year. Uh, he showed it a few other times where, like, whatever happens in the play, the ball's past him. And then, you know, they're 
cornering the running back on the sideline. Justin Zimmer's just tall ass and behind him. And and he gets his helmet in there to be part of the tackle. The dude doesn't give up on any play. He's always sticking his nose in there somewhere. And and honestly, the, this goes with two sides of the coin for me. Is I love what I see from Justin Zimmer, but I'm starting to get a little concerned. And maybe you guys can alleviate some of my concerns. But I'm getting a little concerned about Ed Oliver. Um I just I feel like last year we had the built-in excuse of Star not being there and playing out of position and whatnot. And it's it's preseason and he's not playing much, but I I haven't really seen Ed Oliver flash as much as I thought he would when we drafted him. And especially when you put in the caveat of being a top ten pick. So tell me I'm wrong, guys. Tell me I'm I'm worried for no reason. Well, I'll I'll interject first, and I have some points. Ed Oliver is an athletic freak, Justin. He's very, very athletic. And I think just because he doesn't show up in the stat column doesn't mean he's not he's not impacting the the game. And you see that all the time in the NFL. In addition, I think Ed Oliver, I he's also playing defensive tackle, right? That's a super slow developing position, and you know he's probably drawing a lot of double teams personally. And I would I would tell you to relax on those, um, I guess those negative thoughts because Ed Oliver. We know what his small ceiling that he showed us in his rookie year, and that's not even remotely close to where he could be. And I don't know if that was enough to quell your thoughts, but I just think that Ed Oliver is a, was a top 10 pick, and he's got that pedigree for a reason. And I have so much faith in this defensive room with Leslie Frazier and, um, you know, and company to develop this man into the player that I know he can be. You said it with such a calming voice that I feel calm right now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I was just, I was like, how do I say no? That was so calming. I fell asleep during that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, no. I'm glad you brought that up, Justin. Uh, In general, first of all, definitely love er, uh, Justin Zimmer. Um, It's Justin twice. I'm like, did I get that right? Yeah, Justin Zimmer. He's Um, got a great name. (laughs) It's all right. No, just kidding. (laughs) It's it's uh, it's elite. Um, so I definitely like Justin Zimmer. I love what they've developed into him from being, like you said, an undrafted guy to being a guy that could push like Vernon Butler off the roster and they could save three point three million dollars that way. Like like I'm all for that, um, especially since we're going to be paying Josh Allen in a couple of years more than forty million dollars. So any any time you can save any money like that, I'm all for. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm not going to be as calming as Andrew because I'm I'm a little bit worried as well. I was a little bit worried going into last season because we're like, oh, or at least I wasn't worried going into last season. I'm like, this this is going to be a year where he shows up more. I mean, he showed flashes down that stretch in 2019. And I'm like, okay, this is good. He picks up where he left off in his second season, a full off season. He wasn't a rookie. Like, this is, this is going to be good. And he was okay. You watch more than I do, Justin, because you said you rewatched it. I have, I don't usually rewatch games. Um, I usually just take what I see from clips on the internet and 
So if you're saying that and you've watched it, um, and then Bruce also said earlier this week, he's like, I watched his snaps. He's like, it, it was all right. It was fine. Um, we don't want fine from Ed Oliver. Like we want this dude to be a bowling ball up the middle so that these guys, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing to have Epinesa, Rousseau, Basham, all those guys up the, on, on the edge, uh, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison. Like it's great to have pressure off the edge, but we drafted Ed Oliver to get up the middle and to create pressure that way. And I haven't seen it a lot. And I know that people are Joe B and all those guys are like, you know, he's actually playing better than what you notice on the field. And I'm sure in all 22, it looks better than it is. Is it too much though, to ask for a guy that's just impactful at least once or twice a game where I can be like, yes, that's Ed Oliver. That's why we drafted him. And I feel like we don't even do that once a game. And that does worry me a little bit. And the fact that he hasn't done it at done this preseason, Yes, I, I'm in the same boat. I'm I'm still optimistic that it is only his third season, but man, like they they're gonna have to think about that option next year, and uh, we're hoping it's an easy decision um, on whether to do it or not. Yeah, I'll add to this real quick. It's gonna calm us back down, please. Yes, I'm on Hopefully. the ledge. <laughs> He's going into his third year. We know that is a big year for uh, development, at least from what I've noticed it under this regime. And two, last year, what was the main, I guess, scapegoat for you know the run defense? Everything. And, and Oliver not playing well. <laughs> right. Starly but Starly. the yep. big one, yes, exactly, Star. Has he played in any of these preseason games? Nope. I don't think so. I don't believe so, and... I'm just saying, Star's coming back, and from everything I've heard, he's he's looking good. I mean, he's looking a little light, too, at the same time, from what I heard. But we'll see when Star comes back, because when he does come back and we don't see that production, or if he doesn't have, you know, a bigger impact, then I might be, you know, I might be standing right next to you guys. But I'm, I'm, I'm holding, I'm hoping that Star's absence and the lack at that position position because who do we have behind star you know harrison phillips vernon butler kind of non-proven inconsistent people in the league star he, he could be the key. So I'm going to put you right back on that ledge, Justin, in the fact God, that Jesus. I would hope that... <laughs> up and down, Ed, up and down. Ed snip, Oliver. Snip. I know, snip, snap, snip, snap. Ed Oliver. You have no idea the physical toll of three vasectomies. <laughs> um, uh, I was hoping you got that one. <laughs> I love it. Uh, with Ed Oliver, though, I mean, just being a top 10 pick, you would hope it wouldn't matter who was next to him that would make or break his success. Um, and that's what scares me. And, and I totally get your point, Andrew. And I'm hoping that that bringing him back will help this year, but I'm hoping he's just like Aaron Donald does. It. I mean, he'll, I, I shouldn't even, we should stop as bills fans, even putting that name into the same conversation as Ed Oliver, because he is just a force of nature and he should not, I mean, he could, he could play any position on the defensive line and just wreak havoc all by himself. You could put three undrafted rookies right next to him and he would still be, unbelievable and it's like you know with him though it's i don't know it's i i'm just hoping that he takes that next step where he's just and and to your point andrew he he played nose tackling college so it was it's even more of a 
of a difference in learning position than it would be a guy who was playing one tech or three tech in college. At least it would be, you know, somewhat more of a translation. He was right in the nose guard. It's a different, it's a different position. He was, you know, even dominating at that level, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm still worried. I, I'm, I'm optimistic though. I'm optimistic as a Bills fan that he'll turn it around. And we mentioned earlier about how the Bills coaching staff can develop these guys and bring them more than what they were potentially. I mean, look at Jordan Phillips. I mean, the guy, you know, made a huge contract off that one season or two seasons with the Bills, but that amazing second season. And look at what the Bills coaching staff can do. So, I mean, if if it's there and Ed Oliver's willing, which it seems like he is, um, I think that's my my moment of zen is the uh, that, that that this coaching staff will bring the best out of him. And it's really up to the player at this point. I believe you yeah. both. <laughs> Long story short, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it, it will. Yeah. That is, we'll that see. is absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Justin. That's one of the biggest storylines um, going into this season. I think is Ed Oliver's development. And then also, you know, uh, you know, Dawson Knox is, I mean, there's a few guys on this roster where it's like, Hey, or what are we going to see? Harrison Phillips is in his contract here. How is he going to fill, you know, uh, fit this season? Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of storylines. Jermaine Edmonds. Jermaine, uh, exactly. And I, I think Ed yeah. Oliver is a great storyline heading into the season. I'm really, uh, really interested to see where that heads. All right. Let's transition to the last position group and that'd be special teams. So we'll just uh, quickly talk about Tyler Bass and Matt Hawk because we already kind of touched on the punt returners. So uh, Tyler Bass, right? Making me eat Automatic. my words. Oof! I he served now, me Nate, a I, I don't, pie. <laughs> I were you really worried about Tyler Bass when he came out and was a little inconsistent and missing those kicks and field goals? Were you in that camp of like, oh god? What oh, absolutely! Do? Only because we'd seen it happen with the previous two kickers and Dan Carpenter. And uh, why am I blanking? Like Hauschka, thank you. I'm like blanking on all these guys' names tonight. But uh, yeah, Hauschka, it, as soon as they don't have it, then they usually never get it back. Kickers are like one of those things where it's, you know, hot and cold and it's hot for a while. And then up when it gets cold, man, um, at least with those guys, it had to do with injuries, I think. Um, and with Tyler Bass, yeah, when he started, it was like, man, you're, you're trusting a lot with his rookie. Um, but it made sense. He looked great in training camp. And then, you know, enough doesn't get said about Tyler Bass's ability to overcome that sort of adversity as a, as a rookie in the biggest sport available. Luckily there weren't a lot of fans, so that probably helped, but uh, the ability to overcome that uh, kicker is one of the positions I think that has most pressure on it besides maybe quarterback individually. And um, mm -hmm. I didn't know if he would turn it around last season, to be quite honest. Um, I wasn't ready to give up on him. I was ready to give him a season or so to see how he would do. And he turned it around and he has been, you know, lights out ever since then he deserves all the credit. And, and, and um, let me know what you guys think about this, but you know, I'm trying to think of all the draft picks of, of Brandon Bean over the last few years. Um, and, you know, it's, it's too hard to tell, but I think Tyler Bass, I mean, if he continues on this, he might be one of the biggest draft, uh, the, one of the best draft picks that Bean has had since Josh Allen. And I know it's not saying a lot. It's a kick, you know, it's a, it, it's a guy that does, you know, the kicks field goals and, you know, kickoffs. But at the same time, it's like, we were talking about Tremaine Edmonds. We'll see at Oliver. We'll see, you know, all these other players will see. And with Tyler Bass, I kind of get the feeling that that draft pick was a hit. 
I'm on board with oh bass. <laughs> You're all about that bass. You all about that bass. Yeah, I I, I yeah. was fully on board with the. I can't believe that we went with a rookie kicker when we're looking like we're gonna make this playoff push. Blah blah blah. Give me back my house money, and bass made me eat every word of it. Glad I had to do it. Had I had so much faith in this man and. I don't know why, but I, I forgot. I'm forgetting the game where he like missed two kicks. I think maybe it was the Jets game this year. But I, I usually go to my friend's house and we're all like huddle around the TV. And my friend who doesn't really watch football like that <laughs> goes like, "Oh, this guy sucks. Kick him off the team." Bass's ass, and I was like, "Dude." That's a really hard thing that this team is asking him to do. Like, hey, you know, you were just a kicker in college, and uh, now you're going to be a kicker for a professional football team. You beat out the veteran. Kick this football. Like, you know, he, that that's a big transition. Like, here you go. Like you get, I mean, he beat Hoshka, which, you know, we already discussed that he was on the downward slope. But I had this blind faith that, he was going to put it together and again to echo what you said Nate the fact that he was able to go through that adversity and then set a Bills rookie record and I think he set another record by hitting two 50-yard field goals in the AFC championship game where there was a crowd that was really impressive to me and now you see people who are trying to give him a nickname and all this other stuff. And I have my own personal nickname for him and it's Ty dollar sign. I love it. He he's a great dot. He's a great kicker in my opinion. One of the things I didn't like speaking of nicknames for Tyler Bass is like how people tried to make like bass money or something like that. Like they tried to hang on to the, like, I like that tied a tie dollar sign because it's like, it rhymes <laughs> and it makes sense. But like mm -hmm. the bass money, I'm like, it sounds like the bills, you know, uh, social media account would say that I'm like it sounds like you guys are trying to reuse house money on this one like you know you guys need to steal some more content from like these other individual con content creators like us and come up with some better names or something i don't know that was that was that was a little lame i think they do a great job normally i think that that was i think that was a little played out i was like you guys got to give him something new something of his own we try to come up with nicknames on the podcast so, like, so I, I, like, I like i like tie dollar sign <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, Ty, Ty Dollar Sign is actually a rapper who came out way before. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you actually knew that or not, but it it was the first connection that in my head I was like, this guy's money, just like Ty Dollar Sign. <laughs> I am. I feel like I'm that old. I did not know who that is, but, but uh, yeah, I can't take credit for. To that be fair, now. I didn't either. <laughs> oh, you thought you guys I thought, thought you I just made it up? Yeah. No, no, no. I. That that is an actual rapper who I I like his music a Justin, lot. Justin, <laughs> you just talked me off my own ledge of just jumping off and feeling old. So thank you. Oh, Andrew likes to remind me at least once per episode about how old I am, and we're not that different in age. But he makes me feel old every week. Hey, I, I don't I don't mean it. Well, that's why I got to listen to the Wandering Buffalo uh, more often, so I can keep all these pop ref, pop culture references up to go. date. So I'm not I'm not the one that's like you know into my 40s and 50s trying to do like. Anchorman references and nobody's seen that movie. Oh, I'll still be there with you. <laughs> uh, 
I I have not seen that movie. There we go. I'm the old man again. Yeah, I'm back on the ledge. Thank you. I'm sorry. Sorry. But I, I, I do know like the mahogany bound leather books reference or whatever. <laughs> I have many leather bound I'm books in my apartment. Reeks of rich mahogany. Yes, that one. 60% yes, that of the one. time it works every time. Every time. Hey, yeah. you I got were one. mentioning Our, real quick, um, uh, Matt Hawk. I mean, he had that one uh, like brutal. Yeah, brutal pun. Was that what you were going to say, Justin? Because that was that was kind of noticeable. I was like, eh, that's not ideal. <laughs> Kick off the side of the foot. Um, yeah, that that was for me like wh- what we were bringing in Matt Hawk for was like to get rid of that part of Bojo's game. And I feel like we went through the learning curve with Bojo to get past that. And then now he's gone and I was like, okay, well, at least they're going to bring in another guy that's not going to shank punts. He might not kick it 70 yards, but at least we'll have safe, consistent punting. And then, you know, it's... It's preseason. It's one punt. It's it's one snap of, of you know however many he'll take. But but that that raised my antennas a little bit of like I really hope we don't see this too often because I I was about as upset you can be that your team lets the punter walk in free agency. Yeah. So I kind of documented all of his punts and. From what I saw, there were only four of them, which kind of speaks to how well the team was doing in terms of uh, possession. But the first punt, as you mentioned, wasn't good. It was a shank. And the second punt was good. Kind of like up and down, up and down, up and down. And then the third and fourth punt, it almost looked like he outkicked his coverage just by a little bit. So the returner had that ability to bring the ball back. And that was a problem with Boho, right? Like, he could punt it like 70 yards, but it would get there so fast that the returner could just, like, take it for, like, 20 yards all the time. And the thing is with Matt Hawk is that he's really cheap. Like, really, really cheap. Like, I'm pretty sure... If we would have tendered Boho, it would have cost us more money because I, I think Matt Hawk signed like a two-year deal and the average of it per year is like less than that tender would have been. So I think they were just trying to look. I think Bean was just trying to save dollars. And the best thing about Matt Hawk that Boho can't isn't even close to is snapping catching that snap and laces out he's an elite holder in my opinion we're on to the elite holder part of the show <laughs> thanks for sticking around <laughs> are we gonna do an ace ventura reference to or would andrew not get that one i think he got that one no, I, I, I i got that one i got that one <laughs> so matt hawk is actually the 12th highest paid punter in the league and uh really? Horquez oh, is the 19th highest paid which is crazy that he got paid less. And I agree. Like I was kind of hoping for more consistency from, uh, from Matt Hawk over the Like you said, I mean, if you're kicking a 70 yards, that's all well and good. But if he's got 20 yards to run before he even sees any coverage, like, like what good does it do? You might, I'd rather have a 50 yard punt and the guy has to fair catch it, you know, in the air. That's the best of all worlds. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cough and quarter punt. Mm-hmm. And he was just too, you know, uh, but the, the one good thing we have to worry about, even if, if, 
if Matt Hawk has a similar season to Corey Bohork was last season is that um, this, the stat just came out uh, today where Jeff Kerr from CBS wrote that Josh Allen had 46 touchdowns in 2020. The bills had 41 punts in 2020 and only six players since 1939 had more TDs than their team had punts in a season. So that's a good stat. Um, luckily, hopefully we don't need him <laughs> either Matt Hawk or whoever else as much um, just like last season, but yeah, not encouraging. Um, let's hope that he just got that out of his system and, uh, he's ready to, uh, hit all those coffin corner punts, uh, in that, in a regular season. I got one more on special teams. The blocked kick. I was like scouring my memory banks of preseason, regular season, whatever of the last time I've seen the bills block a field goal attempt and that would be a fun trivia question sometime because i have starlet to lay when thanksgiving okay before that then <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's like something that i never see in football and like it happened i was like oh shit that's awesome that got me pretty jazzed up yeah. Yeah, no, that, that blocked anything is awesome. No, no, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a good, that was a really good, uh, I forgot about that. Uh, Boogie Basham, right? He was the one that had the blocked, uh, mm-hmm. block pun. And yeah, no, no, he, uh, I mean, Boogie Basham had a much better game against the Bears than he did the Lions. Um, and uh, it showed, and, and he showed up on special teams, which you can't be upset about guys showing. Uh, you know, this coaching staff loves that, right? A guy that can potentially play defensive end, play, play defensive tackle. Oh, and also block a point after or a field goal like this. This gets them going, you know? Yeah. All right. So we're going to transition uh, real quick into the end of the preseason, and then we'll get to the NFL top 100 and briefly wrap up some news here. But we're going to do a segment, and I didn't tell you about this, Nate. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about it. We're going to do the wall of fame and wall of shame from this game. And I know it's preseason, but it could, it's always a little fun exercise. And maybe it's good practice for you. So, uh, Nate, do you want to tell the, uh, everyone what the wall of fame and wall of shame is all oh, about? Oh, yeah. So every week on the recap, uh, we do our wall of famer and wall of shamer for whoever we think, uh, you know, basically the MVP or the LVP of the game. Um, it can be a, a number of different things. It could be a player. It can be a coach. It can be, you know, Sean McDermott's got it for like usage of timeouts, right. Um, depending on how the, mm-hmm. the game, the game script goes. Um, and for my wall of fame for the bills, I mean, just because of the relevance of the game, even though it was preseason, I think I'm going to give it to Mitchell Trubisky. Um, like you mentioned, 20 for 20, eight over 200 yards, two touchdowns. Um, was really happy to see that, really encouraged to see that. Um, uh, there was a lot of positive things to take out of this game, but to me that was one of the biggest uh, storylines going into it and uh, and coming out of it. I feel, I mean, just think about how much better you feel as a Bills fan. Should the defense look great? But, I mean, if Mitchell Trubisky went like 13 for 28 and like one touchdown and two picks, your outlook on the season just changes that much just changes that much more in a negative way. So I think uh, I'm going to put Mitchell Trubisky on my wall of fame. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that. There, there's some players that I could go just to give a different answer, but I I think I'd be saying it and I would just be wrong for the sake of having a different answer. So I'm going Mitch Trubisky as well. 
for me, I am going to go in a different direction here, and I got to go with Deion Dawkins for all those reasons that we kind of talked Good about answer. earlier in the episode. Yeah, you know, I I had to think outside of the box because I knew when I wrote this down, I was like, all right, Mitch, Mitch is going to be taken before I can say anything. So I, I just thought that he sh- showcased a lot of tenacity and a lot of heart out there. So big thumbs up to Deion Dawkins and uh, Mama Mama Docs. <laughs> Mama Docs getting the first shout out ever on a podcast. Yeah, I like I like the Deion Dawkins one a lot. That was my second one. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I was just talking about how uh, how important it was for the season. Really, I mean, having your left tackle uh, ready for the beginning of the season is much more important than your backup quarterback. So that was a good one. Right, right. Who do you have for your wall of shame? Um, so this one's not so easy because you have a game where the bills dominated from front to back. Um, this, I, I don't love this one, but I think I'm going to go Saran Neal, um, on that one play. <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Um, it, it was, we're talking about guys that like, I mean, he's a, he's one of the three players I believe on the team that are in a contract year, right? You're talking Harrison Phillips. You're talking Taron Johnson. You're talking Saran Neal and Saran Neal's look great in, in special teams. You're hoping in his fourth season, cause the guy's athletically gifted that he can take the next step as either a slot corner an outside corner. I, I don't know if safety's still on the table, but something because you want this guy to succeed. And if there's ever a season where this guy's going to do it, it's going to be this season. Um, the pass was perfect. It was an amazing catch. Um, he was on the guy as good as you can be for the most part without actually stopping the, the catch from happening. Uh, but still, I, I think I think this stems from a bigger issue of we don't know where he's going to fit in for the team and if he's part of the team's future pass this season. And uh, I was really hoping to see a lot more from him this season because the cornerback depth is so thin this year and we really need guys to step up and we really haven't seen anyone step up to take over that CB2 role or even like uh, a viable option if Tredavious White gets injured. Right. And for me, I actually thought Saran Neal had decent coverage on that. I just felt like he got beat and he was like trying to catch up and he did a good job of getting back to it. It just, that, that I mean, that was just a really good play and hats off to that receiver because he, it was contested and he just ripped it from him and ran and was able to keep his balance and get to the end zone. So that was, that was pretty impressive. But for my wall of shame, I think, and it's not even like, I feel kind of weird saying this, but, the challenging woes of McDermott's challenges. Like, you know, like every time he does one, I just like feel like he never wins it. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he was one for two of that game, right? The Zach Moss one, I didn't think, I, I just knew in my head, I was like, this isn't getting overturned, but he threw the flag out there. So I didn't, I wouldn't have done that. But then again, I'm not an NFL head coach. I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> But I, that, I guess that's where I'm going to have to go. I was definitely going Saran Neal, and it's hard for me to really go elsewhere with this. Um, but I'm going to – I'll go with Dawson Knox, and not so much for anything really that he did or didn't do. He didn't really have a ton of opportunities. Um, but with Jacob Hollister really shining behind him, I think it kind of 
brought Dawson Knox a little bit more into the foreground of, you know, a couple more eyeballs looking at him like maybe maybe we have the guy behind you. So it it definitely would have been Saran Neal for me, but I'll go Dawson Knox. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. I was kind of thinking that too. Um, Dawson Knox, man, like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not guaranteed. Um, you know, you're speaking of challenges. So here is uh, Sean Mc. That's what I love about this podcast is while you guys are talking, I actually get to research stuff. This is nice. I'm not used to that. Um, there are 20 <laughs> challenges that Sean McDermott has as a four-year head coach. He's won five of them. Oof. And last season was the same as the season before where he had five challenges in each season and he only won two of them. Now that's much better than before that, because before in 2017 and 2018, he had won one challenge out of 10. (laughs) So he was only batting 10%. And now the last couple of seasons, he's batting 40%. So growth mindset, he's gotten four times better (laughs) at challenging calls. Um, I, 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 I thought that was a touchdown at first, so I don't blame him for doing that one, but uh, obviously, you know, it didn't go his way. That kind of reminds right, me of, right. did you ever see the uh, video of uh, Josh Allen calling the coin toss? No, no, I yes. don't think I did. Can you please explain it? So you got to check it out. It starts off like, it starts off with like his rookie year and he's just like losing every coin toss that he has. And they make it, it's like montage, like really dramatic and same idea, like the growth mindset. And he just like starts winning challenges, but like in typical Josh fashion, like every time he's winning it, he's getting more and more hype about it. It's like probably like a 45 second video. I'll send you the link after the show to make sure you get to see it. Yeah. That's really. Yeah. The Bill's PR team. Yeah, it's really good. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. You know, uh, we're talking about this after, uh, on the podcast, I'm sure you guys talked about it after um, Josh Allen's contract extension. Uh, you know how how awesome that was to get that done. Um, but you just reminded me of talking about this montage and how hyped he's getting over a coin toss, right? Like, like one of the things that we take for granted uh, with having Josh as our franchise quarterback is the fact that he's just so damn likable. Like he's so easy to root mm-hmm. for. Like he's not one of those guys where there's so many quarterbacks out there. I mean, like Deshaun Watson, like if he's your quarterback, he's good, but you're kind of like, well, at least he wins us games because you don't really like him necessarily, depending on what happens here on out. Like you look at Aaron Rodgers, like "Ah, kind of a diva, but at least he wins us games. Like there's a lot of asterisks around these like top like quarterbacks, like even Patrick Mahomes, like his brother's annoying. His wife's kind of annoying. Um, You know, the way he talks about his players is kind of, you know, it's not what I'd want out of my quarterback. And Josh isn't like that. I mean, he is just, he, he has everything that's on the field right now. He's getting better and he's just so damn likable that, that that's one of those things that, you know, I think it's understated as far as him being our franchise quarterback. And it's something that we're so fortunate to have um, as opposed to like, well, he just wins us game. Like, no, he wins us games and he's freaking cool. He's a likable dude. The intangibles. Yeah. I don't think you could find a better fit for Buffalo than Josh Allen right now. Yeah. Anyways, that wraps it up for the preseason game. Let's just go right into the NFL top 100. We saw Diggs, number 11. That was pretty awesome. In last week's episode, I I just kind of threw it out there. Like it was insane that Tredavious White was 95 and I thought he was at least upper 40s. 
And then I kind of predicted that Diggs had to be low 20s, like 21 and stuff. And the fact that he went 11 makes me feel very good. I mean, you got to be, it's definitely justified. Led the league in receptions and yards. And just in general, I don't, I just, the Bills got everything that they could have hoped and dreamed for out of that trade. And the fact that he got number 11 out of the top 100 is just a validation for it. Extra cherry on top. Yeah, I, I think it's great seeing him there. I These lists come out, and it's like cool to look at and whatnot, and it's it's cool that you know it's voted on the play, by the players, and you know it's kind of like peer respect. I, I don't ride too high and too low with these lists. Um, it's like when when the conversation comes up, like, is Tredavious White a top-five cornerback in the league? I don't really care if you want to call him three, if you want to call him seven, eight. Like, I'm not going to get bent out of shape out of it. Um, it's so hard to line these players up apples to apples. And, you know, one guy's playing man, one playing zone. And then, you know, who's playing across from them? There, there's so much that goes into these these lists and these rankings and all that. Uh, you know, this situation alone, like you could be the best cornerback in the league on on the worst team in the league and sure nobody's catching the ball coming out your way, but you guys won two games. So I don't ride too high and too low on, on those rankings. It is awesome to see one of our players come in at 11. Um, and also Josh Allen's going to be somewhere in the top 10. So it is, it is kind of, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like the notoriety coming with people actually starting to notice the Buffalo Bills and give them the respect that they're due. It is cool seeing that, though. Yeah, I'm kind of in between both of you guys. Like, yeah, I don't ride too high or too low with it. And I say that except when I get mad with a Travis White is like number 95. And I'm like, how? Like, cornerback is one of the most important positions, and he's at least top five or in that range. Like you mentioned, top three or seven. Like, does it really matter? Like, that I feel like that should be higher on the list, but then Stefan Diggs is number 11. So you're like, okay, that's great. You know, you're, you're finally seeing some bills players get into the conversation, which is great. But I think, you know, I was mentioning earlier about coaching staff, developing players on the bills team, um, Josh Allen developing wide receivers by him being their quarterback doesn't get stated enough. And he and you've seen that you've seen this. Like I remember Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. These guys have, you know, number one wide receivers year in and year out. And it's a lot of the times. I mean, these guys are talented. Obviously, Devontae Adams. But who was it before Devontae Adams? It was Jordy Nelson, or you know, who like these guys? These Greg good Jennings, great, Donald Driver. Exactly, exactly. Great. It, 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 that's just how it is. You know, these good quarterbacks do that. And so, uh, you know, I mean, he made Cole Beasley almost a thousand yard receiver last season, right? Um, so uh, I think that's one of the one of the most encouraging takes that I take a take from that is that Josh Allen is that good that he brings up the play of all the wide receivers around him. And this is one of the most stacked wide receiving groups that we've ever had um, as Bills fans and that Josh Allen by far has ever had. Uh, so this is an exciting time. But yeah, I, I saw that and it will be exciting when Josh Allen becomes top 10 and that's super cool. Um, but you know, we're going to start seeing these things happen more often. We're not used to it, but in the, in the end, you know, man, like it's great to have this happen, but I just want a super bowl. I just want that. 
Uh, that's the most important thing. I want one before I die. And the sooner that Josh gets us one, if he can, um, that, the happier I'll be. And, and the more I feel like I can just enjoy football more every Sunday, knowing that we have one under our belt. For sure. And I guess, I guess the reason why I like the NFL top 100 is because it's, it's a peer review thing, right? And it's players recognizing players. And I think what, like the year that we were really bad and when we were, you know, taking our own medicine, ripping off the band-aids, the Bills had no players in the top 100. And it was hard for, I guess, the nation itself or viewers of the NFL to give any respect towards the Bills or what they were doing. And to see how we went from having zero people in it to having like four, and we'll see where Allen ends up, is a real testament to the job that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and company have done. So that's why I like it, and I'm just excited to see where Allen ends up and where he'll eventually take us down the road. All right, well, I think that's pretty much going to wrap up this episode. Uh, Oh, well, I'm sorry, I forgot. The Bills added two players to the roster. We signed a running back and kick returner, Kareth White, and a cornerback, Tim Harris, uh, today. And then we pr- uh, placed offensive line Forrest Lamp on injured reserve. And Duke Williams, it's over, man. You got waved. The, the Duke Williams one, that would have hurt me way more like two years ago when I when I was you know, really trying to grasp for a game-changing receiver. We we have a stacked receiver room. I, I'm I'm getting down to like seven receivers, and and I can't figure out which one I would let go at this point. So, Duke, it's been fun, but I'm I'm not terribly upset by that. the the two The Always. two players that they just added, I I only barely got to look at. I saw that happen while I was at work, and I pretty much came right from there to here. So. Hey, last time I called people camp bodies, they uh, started performing really well in the preseason and seemed to be making an impact. So let's call them camp bodies for now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame to see Duke go just because he was a camp favorite a couple of years ago, a guy from the CFL who had you know size that we didn't really have before, had physicality, and uh, it sounds like he just you know he just wasn't making enough of an impact in his route running and his ability to hang on to balls or or at least ability to to separate from uh, DBs. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now we just got this year's Duke Williams and, uh, Jake Kumerow, right. Or the, ne- the next training camp, darling, they, you know, uh, defied all odds to, to make the roster from practice squad to practice squad and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it stinks. Uh, but you know, I mean, like Justin said, that this, this room is stacked and it's hard to find someone that you, you want to cut and you know, you're going to cut a guy that's, I mean, like I said before, if Ray Ray McLeod is going to get picked up 10 times, I mean, one of these guys is going to get picked up, you know, as soon as cuts happen. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for sticking with us. I know it was a long one, but I, I had such a great time. Go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, and view our podcast, as well as other amazing shows that you can find on the Built-in Buffalo Network. We're always looking for great guests on the show, so if you're interested, feel free to reach out to us on our social media platforms by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. And again, Nate, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. It it was honestly such a blast. And 
I I knew that we were this episode was gonna be great just because of how much I listened to you. Um, and if you aren't listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast, please do. They do great work over there. They also do giveaways. You got to do that. There's a lot of humor, and they also have really great guests on the show. I, I think you guys had Steve Tasker at one Yeah, point, we correct? had him a few weeks ago to preview training camp. So, yeah, that, that was that was cool. I've, I've, I've been very fortunate over the last four years to – I think I'm at like eight or nine Bills players, either former or current. Mostly former because the current ones are hard, really hard to get hold of. Um, but yeah, no, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, this is a cool, uh, you know, this is a cool thing that you guys have going on the show and stuff like that. And uh, it was, you know, an hour and forty minutes. It was pretty effortless. You guys made it. You know, this wasn't like, ah, oh, are we guys are we gonna get done like that with some podcast? <laughs> um, no, this was fun. You guys made it easy, and there was just so much. I didn't realize how much there was to talk about till we really got into it. And uh, to hear your guys' perspective. So, no, I appreciate you guys having me on, obviously. Um, you know, I have to have you guys on my podcast um, at some point, either in the off-season or during the season or something. And uh, and you can find us on social media at CTW Pod, like at Circling the Wagons Pod. Um, you know, we do recaps every Sunday night on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. So just search Buffalo Rumblings. I mean, we have like eight or nine shows or something like that as it is. And I know the built-in Buffalo. You guys are you guys are working on that too. So you guys are, you know, following suit and, and getting some talent on there too. So, uh, no, I appreciate you know meeting both of you guys and uh, both of you having me on, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure was all ours for sure. Justin, where can the people you can find, find you? Find me at so on social medias at jgods22, and you. And as always, you can find me on social media by searching Two Changs. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. Thanks for sticking with us, and as always, Go Bills! Go Bills.